According to DC Comics, the superheroes like Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Flash, and the Green Lantern are the greatest fighters for truth and justice that the world has ever known. And individually, they do great things, but when they come together as the Justice League, they're a force of nature. And to quote the DC Comics, the League is the world's first line of defense against threats too large for humanity to face. And for decades, the Justice League has been saving the human race and saving the earth and saving uh, humanity from its worst threats. Everything from alien warlords to ancient demons to powerful sorcerers, uh, to even the God of evil himself. And every time they overcome the odds and they're able to save the human race. And, uh, and th- they've had times where the group has split up and they've come back together and they split up and they come back together. They've added some new members to the group. And, and so they, all this change has gone on within the Justice League. But DC Comics has assured us that when the chips are down, you can count on the greatest superheroes of all time. The Justice League will always be together, standing on the front lines, and always ready to answer the call of duty for justice and for truth. And I don't know if you paid attention in that clip when that young lady was sitting on the bed and she was hearing the radio reports about how terrorism and violence were overtaking the world. And there was this invasion of darkness that was happening I don't know about you, but that sounds like what I hear when I listen to the radio in this morning and when I listen to the news all the time. I don't know of another time in our nation's history or maybe our world's history that we are in greater need of a Justice League than we are right now. That we are in need of superheroes that will stand up to injustice and will stand up and fight for truth and justice. I don't know a time in our nation's history or in a time that that we are in greater need of of heroes that will do this, that will stand up for fight for truth and justice. And the good news is that we have a Justice League, that such a thing really does exist. It's not made up of superheroes from other planets or superheroes that have super cool gadgets. It's not made up of people who respond when a bright light shines up in the sky with a bat symbol on it. But instead, it's made up of normal, everyday, average human beings who respond to the light of the world. It says, come follow me and then be the light of the world. It's made up of average, normal human beings that don't have superpowers of their own, but they have the super Holy Spirit living inside of them who gives them ability to do far more than we could ever imagine on our own. And so I'm telling you, this world needs superheroes, not from a book, but from the book of life. And it needs the Justice League to come together, not because we need one hero or two heroes, because we need an army ready to stand for truth and justice. We're going to be in the book of Proverbs this morning, and I'm so excited about this passage because it's actually several passages we're going to look look at. But Proverbs 24, uh, verses 10 through 12 is where we're going to read from, and then verse chapter 31, verses 8 and 9. But the invitation this morning is simply this. You need to be part of the Justice League. That when we look at the text that God has got for us this morning, that it is our responsibility, and in fact it is our obligation, to do what the Justice League does, to stand up for truth and to stand up for justice. So if you've got your Bible... Go ahead and turn to Proverbs chapter 24, verse 10 through 12. um, And then we'll flip over to 31, verses 8 and 9. And kind of like we did last week, we're going to read these two passages of Scripture, but we're going to go through several passages of Scripture uh, in our time together. If you don't have your Bible, the words will be on the screen on either side of me, or or you can just jot these uh, verses down and we'll come back and go back and look at them later. Uh, But Proverbs chapter 24, starting in verse 10, says, If you do nothing in a difficult time, your strength is limited. Rescue those being taken off to death 
and save those stumbling towards slaughter. Verse 12, if you say, but we didn't know about this, wouldn't, or won't he who weighs hearts consider it? Won't he who protects your life know? Won't he repay a person according to his works? And then over in uh, chapter 31, verses 8 and 9, verse 8 says, Speak up for those who have no voice, for the justice of those who are deposited. Verse 9, Speak up, judge righteously, and defend the cause of the oppressed and the needy. Let's pray together. God, I thank you so much for the army that is ready to assemble to do justice. God, I thank you for us who are in this room, who are going to be challenged this morning, for us who are watching online, God, who are going to be challenged this morning, not good, not just to listen to your word, but to go out and to live it out in each and every day. God, we are living in a world that is facing a deep, a deep evil that is far greater than anything that we can overcome. And so, God, we are desperately needing for those of us who are willing to stand up, for those of us who are willing to be the heroes, to stand up and give voice to those who have no voice. And so, God, I pray this morning that there's not a person sitting in this room, there's not a person watching online who can read this text and and hear these words and not be challenged and pricked in their heart because of the injustice that we see happening in our world. God, we cannot sit idly by any longer. And so, God, I pray that you challenge us as individuals. I pray that you challenge us as a church. God, I pray that you challenge us as Christians, brothers and sisters across this world to do justice, to be the voice, to stand up for what needs to be done. And God, I pray that you give us the challenge, the courage, and the wisdom to do it, God, according to your word, Father. So I pray that you speak, and I pray that we listen. And I pray, God, not only that we are students taking notes, but God, that we are students ready to live it out, Father. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I heard a story several years ago about an artist uh, who had kind of taken some time off. He, he hadn't published any new pieces of art for several years. And so uh, when it became known that he was going to open up a new exhibit, people in the art world were really excited because they, they were wanting to see all these new pieces of artwork that he had been working on throughout these several years. And so uh, the time came and he published that he was going to have a new exhibit open and people got really excited. And um, I'm not a huge art person. I'm not a collector of art or anything like that. And, but I know there are folks out there that are. And so these folks came together, and we're talking the world's elite art critics, the world's elite art enthusiasts. Man, they were so excited to see these new pieces. And he promised in his exhibit that he was going to have multiple new pieces. Like It wasn't like you're going to walk in and see one new picture this guy's been working on for three years, okay? He was going to have multiple new pieces in this exhibit, in this gallery. And, and so people were excited, man. There was just a buzz in the art community about this, and, and folks were so excited about it. And so on the day that the exhibit was supposed to open, the, the room was ready to be packed, and people were waiting outside. I mean, everybody who was anybody in the art world was going to be at this premiere. They were going to be at this opening of this na- new gallery and this new exhibit. Everybody was excited about it. And so when the doors opened, all the guests were welcomed into one big room. 
right? And it wasn't the typical art exhibit because normally you have little rooms off to the side. And there was this announcement that came on that said, if you are here, then welcome to the exhibit. Uh, we want you to enjoy the refreshments. We want you to enjoy the, the small pieces of art that are around you and the art wall, the small pieces of artwork that are hanging on the walls. And just enjoy those. And, and you will be invited to the smaller rooms with the newer exhibits and the newer pieces by the famous artists. You'll be invited to those smaller rooms at a later time. So just go ahead and enjoy, kind of enjoy this time together. And so people kind of mingled around, they, they ate the snacks, they walked around, they talked with each other and in their social circle, and they talked about some of this artwork that was hanging on the wall, and uh, they would talk about how disappointing it was, that, that this wasn't really what they came to see, that these were nice pieces, but they weren't masterpieces. These were okay pieces, but these weren't good. This was not what they came to see. This was not what they pictured uh, of this being. And so they really came to the conclusion that these were just kind of show pieces that somebody had bought to put there. Or maybe this was a um, kind of a, an unknown artist that this guy was trying to promote. And so after a couple hours of folks kind of milling around, the crowd died down just a little bit, but most people were still in the room because they really wanted to go see the masterpieces, what was in those smaller rooms. And so after about an hour and a half, maybe two hours, the artist makes an appearance and he stands up and he says, the exhibit is now closed. You're all dismissed. And the crowd kind of was like, wait, we, we, we haven't been able to see the masterpieces yet. We haven't seen the artwork. We haven't seen what we came to see yet. And he said, well, honestly, I don't think you'll appreciate it at all. And they said, well, yeah, we've been waiting for years for your artwork. We've been waiting for years for what you have, to, what you've been doing, and we want to see this so bad. And he said, no, you won't appreciate it at all. And he said, well, yes, we will. We'll appreciate this. And all these critics are, are starting to, to get agitated because they're getting thrown out. They want to see all this artwork. And he said, well, how do you know we won't appreciate it if we don't see it? We need to be able to see it first, and then we'll tell you how much we appreciate your artwork. And he said, well, because you didn't appreciate the artwork that you had in front of you. You see, what you didn't know is for the last hour and a half, I've been one of the butlers that was walking around giving you snacks. And I came up to every single one of you, and I've talked with every single one of you about the artwork that's on the wall. And so for the last hour and a half, he had walked around that room kind of in disguise, and he'd walk up and say, what do you think about this piece? Or, and almost every single one of them would give them their main thoughts. It's all right. I mean, it's not great, but it's okay. Or some of them were just outright rude about it. That's terrible. I don't know why anybody would hang that up there. But see, what he also did is if anybody complimented the artwork that was hanging on the wall, he gave them a special ticket. And that special ticket had the instructions of here's where you need to go to see the real artwork that you're wanting to see. You see, what he told them was that you didn't appreciate the artwork that was around you. And they said, well, of course we didn't appreciate this artwork. This is not your artwork. This is not what we came to see. And he said, oh, but you're wrong. You see, every piece of art that is in this room is either A, a depiction of my children or a creation of my children. And if you have insulted the art in this room, then you have insulted either the maker or the maker of the makers of the art. And so if you don't appreciate what is here, you definitely won't appreciate what's in the smaller rooms. You are dismissed, and I hope you have a good evening. And with that, he walked out. You see, what he teaches the art critics is exactly what the book of Proverbs teaches us about the image of God and about how to treat other people. You see, to insult the artist, or to insult the art, is to insult the one who made the art. 
And that's exactly what Proverbs teaches us. To insult the, the human beings, to insult another human through injustice is not just an insult to that person. It is an insult to the one who made that person. It is an insult to the one who created that person and put their image on that person. You see, there's two passages that I want us to look at for this first point. The first one... It's Proverbs 14, verse 31, and the second one is Proverbs 17, verse 5. And as we start to read both of these, you're going to sound, they're going to sound very familiar, very similar at the very beginning. So I want you, we'll go ahead and read 14, 31, and then we'll flip over to 17, 5. But 14, 31 says, The one who oppresses the poor person insults his maker. It goes on to say, But one who is kind to the needy honors him. And if you flip over to verse seven or chapter seventeen, verse five, it's going to sound very similar. It says in seventeen five, it says, "The one who mocks the poor insults his maker, and the one who rejoices over calamities will not go unpunished." You see, while these two verses sound very similar in English, they are almost identical. They have just slight differences in the two of them, right? And so, I want to back up to chapter fourteen, verse thirty-one. And you'll notice it, it says something just slightly different than 17.5. In 14 uh, verse 31, it uses the phrase, the one who oppresses the poor. You see, that's slightly different than 17, because in 17 it talks about um, mocking the poor. But in, in 14 verse 31, it, the oppression of the poor means it is an action. It's exploiting someone. It's literally pressing down on someone or pushing them down to an inferior position. It is using your weight, so if you've ever tried to push in a thumbtack, that's the image that he's using. So you're using your weight to push something in, to push something down, to make it fit where you want it to go. You're using your force to, to push down on someone and to make yourself superior to them and them inferior to you. Right? So it's a way of showing your superiority to that person, that you are not equal with that person. You are superior to that person, and you're going to make sure they know it by the actions that you take. So it's all about the actions in chapter 14, verse 31. By the way, the word that he uses for poor there is really a, a word that can be used for poor, but it also has a broader sense. It can be anybody or anything that is weak or powerless. Right? So understand it's not just financially, it's physically someone who's oppressed there. So we have this idea that anyone that society could take advantage of. Right? For you guys that are Old Testament scholars and Old Testament uh, experts, you may remember... Um, when Pharaoh had the dream and the seven fat cows were eaten up by the seven weak cows, right? That word weak is the same word that he's using here in Proverbs for poor, right? So it doesn't necessarily mean just financially not well off. It means that you are kind of small, that you are small in stature. It's, it's people that, and, and things that society would look down on, right? So in chapter 14, verse 31, it's really the actions taken on anybody that society would look down on. And then if you look at chapter 17, verse 5, he doesn't use the actions as much as he uses the words. He says anybody who mocks the poor. You see, it's not the actions. It's degrading someone with the words that we use. It's literally ridiculing them or laughing at them. It's, it's in making fun of them and using words that would be offensive to them. Describe them in a way that's not true or describe them in a way that's not true of them. Right? And then he uses also a different word for poor. In this sense, it is someone who is poor being someone who is disadvantaged. That life has given them a hard road. Right? Maybe they grew up without a father. Maybe they grew up without a mother. Maybe they grew up and their parents died when they were young. Or maybe they are in a situation that they had no choice to be in. Right? So poor in this situation has more of a financial aspect, but it's not because they made bad choices. It's because things happened that were beyond their control. 
right? So it's more than just folks that don't have money. It's folks that things have financially happened to or things that have had troubles with. And so I want you to understand that in 1431, it is all about the actions, and in 175, it's all about the words. But you see, I want you to notice the actions or the words, regardless of which one you're doing, they had the exact same results. That's where the differences between those two end, because the beginning or the, the similarities of those two is the exact same results. That whether you're acting against someone or you're speaking against someone, the same results happen. It is an insult to the maker or to their maker. It is an insult to God. So I want to be clear what this passage is teaching us when we put them together. That whether we're using abusive words or racial slurs or, or, or anything like that, it's the same thing as actively participating in discrimination and segregation. We don't think about it like that. We don't think words have that same amount of power, but it's clear that they have the same result. And so if we're going to use words that downgrade someone, we're going to use words that devalue someone based on whatever situation is, whether it's financial or physical or something beyond their control, if we're going to use words to downgrade them and devalue them, then we might as well be oppressing them. We might as well put them into a financial situation. We might as well segregate and discriminate and maybe even use them as slaves. Because what we've done is we've insulted the one who made them. The result is the same whether we do it through words or we do it through actions. By the way... This idea of insulting God, it's an amazing word. It's not used very often in the Bible, but this word that he uses for insult, it's the exact same thing that David describes Goliath doing. So you guys, again, that are Old Testament people, you know the story of David and Goliath and how David's this, this small little guy and Goliath's this huge giant. And when David stands up to Goliath, you know why he's standing up to him? Not because he thinks he can beat him, but he says, you have insulted my God and I'm not going to stand for it any longer. You have insulted the army of Israel and you've mocked my God. You've blasphemed my God. You've made my God small and I'm not going to stand for it anymore. And I may be small, but my God's big and I'm going to hold his back every single time. The truth is God doesn't need you to hold his back, but what he wants you to do is stand up for his integrity. And when you allow someone to speak against, or when you speak against, and when you devalue someone, what you've done is the exact same thing that Goliath has done. You have devalued that person. You have insulted God. You see, the same God that made that person is the same God that made you. What we forget sometimes is the reason that injustice happens, not just in our world, or not just to folks we know, but in our world, is because we forgot that we share a common humanity, that we share the image of God across all of humanity, that we share the image of God across all lines that try to divide us, that we forget that the same God that made somebody else is the same God who made me. And for some reason, we tend to think that the image he put on them may not be as good as the image he put on me. What an insult to the maker. For some reason, we think that we are the masterpiece. We are the best because our hair is a certain color, our skins are a certain color, or because we have a certain income. We tend to think that we are the masterpiece and everybody else is inferior. Do you know what that really says? God made me right and made everybody else junk. That God's really not the masterpiece maker that he says he is because he made everybody else junk. Do you see how that's insulting to the one who made everyone else? It is not an insult to the person. It is an insult to the one who made them. You see, the, the funny thing that folks that, that think that way is they fail to realize that the same God who made that person that you're looking down on is the same God who made you. And if that God is in fear and that God makes junk, then guess what? He may have made you junk as well. We forget that. 
We forget that the image that he put on that person is the same image that he put on you and in you. And so there is no justification for treating anyone any way inferior whatsoever because the same image that is in them is the same image that you see. For some reason, the reason injustice happens is because we forget of the words of John chapter or 1 John chapter 4, verses 20 and 21. We forget that it's impossible to love God and yet hate his children. You see, in, John, in 1 John chapter 4, Verse 20 and 21, John writes it like this. He says, If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother has not, or who he has seen, cannot love the God who he has not seen. He goes on in verse 21, and he says, And we have this command from him. The one who loves God must also love his brother. You see, injustice happens when we start to devalue people from the image bearers of God. Injustice happens when we start to see ourselves or someone else as superior and everybody else is inferior. Injustice happens when we fail to see that the same image of the same God is on all people everywhere. And I got news for you. Here's the shocking part of this story. It's not just reserved for the people sitting in this room. The image of God is for the drunk down the street. The image of God is on the drug addict that's drug out in the corners. The image of God is for the homeless and the prostitutes and for everybody else who has any ounce of humanity in them. It is the image of God who's on them just as it's on you. It's not just the people in the church. The image of God is shared across all of humanity. And the love of God, if we love God, it has to spread across all of humanity. It has to go across every line, whether it's a racial line or a judicial line or a gender line or a social line or a picket line or any other line that you want to divide people by. The image of God is what unites us. And we cannot look across humanity and see anything except the image of God. Because the moment that we start dividing ourselves out is the moment that we start to say one may be superior to another. You see, we live in a world that looks to divide. And the whole justice of God is built on the idea that we are all equal. That we are all made in the image of an amazing God who loves us and created us. And created us in His image and put His image on each and every one of us. That every one of us, regardless of what we look like on the outside, is a masterpiece of the master maker of the universe. Regardless of the color of the hair, the color of the skin, or how much money they have in the bank. You may forgive me. I know some of you are, are, are superhero fanatics, and so I'm going to apologize on the beginning of this because I know that Spider-Man is not part of the Justice League. Okay, And in fact, I even know that Spider-Man is not part of DC Comics. All right? So forgive me for you guys that are comic enthusiasts for mixing these two together, but there's just a quote uh, from the Spider-Man movie that is just too great to ignore when we talk about uh, justice. Some of you may remember... And I haven't seen any of the newer Spider-Man movies, but this is one of the older ones that several years ago, uh, Uncle Ben, who was raising Peter Parker at the time, um, is pulled over and he stopped because Peter Parker has been kicked out of school for getting into a fight. And he got in a fight with a kid at school who honestly deserved to get beat up, and Peter really did a really good job of, of doing that. And so Uncle Ben looks at him, he says, he probably deserved to get beat up, right? And I'm going to paraphrase that just a little bit. I don't know exactly what he said, but you're probably right. He probably deserved what you gave him. But then he tells him this, just because you can beat someone up doesn't make it right to do so. And then he gives him probably the most famous line of all the Spider-Man movies or, or comics that are out there. Probably the most quoted one out of all of them is simply this. Remember this, that with great power comes great responsibility. 
You see, we sitting in this room, we that are sitting in our homes watching online right now, you need to know that you possess great power. You possess an amazing ability. And I want to share that with you because regardless of where you're at financially or physically or whatever, you have powers that people are, are jealous of. And I can tell you that by doing some work yesterday on our missions day. I can tell you that by um, traveling through the cold countries in West Virginia. If you think you have seen poverty or if you think you are poor, you are nowhere near it. In fact, our, our poorest people in America are still the richest people compared to the rest of the world. So understand that we in America, we are privileged. And it's not because of the color of our skin. It's because the grace of God put us in this place. That because of the grace of God, we are here. And we have been found by the grace of God. And because of the grace of God, that we have great power. And with that great power comes a great responsibility. And it's simply this. That when you see injustice, you have to respond to it. That you cannot ignore it. When there is great power, there is great responsibility because to, to the, be inactive when we see injustice is completely inexcusable. And so there's three ways that the Bible shows us through the book of Proverbs that we should act when we receive or when we see injustice. The first one is to listen or to hear it. In Proverbs chapter 21, verse 13, he simply says this. He says, The one who shuts his ears to the poor, or to the cry of the poor, will himself also call out and not be answered. There's a beautiful parallel between this passage and a story that Jesus teaches about a good Samaritan. You remember, you remember the story of the good Samaritan, that there was a man who was uh, um, traveling down the road and the robbers jumped on him and they beat him up and they left him uh, naked and they left him with, without anything and they left him on the side of the road for dead. They didn't kill him because that's a corporal offense or that's a capital offense, but you just beat him and then you let the nature take care of itself. And on that road, three people walked by. There was a Levite and a priest, and then a Samaritan. Two of them should have been heroes. Instead, they were zeros. Because what they do, you can remember the story, they didn't just not listen. They went on the other side of the street so they completely avoid, to completely not acknowledge this person who is desperate, this person that is needing help, this person who is calling out and in desperate need for their help. They completely walked on the other side. They shut their ears to the cry of the, those that are needing help. They shut their ears to the ones who are needy and the ones who are poor. And do you know who the hero of the story is? Neither of them. It's the one that everybody else thought was the villain, the Samaritan. That everybody else was looking down on. And so here's the words of Proverbs. That if you close your ears to those who are crying out for help. If you don't listen to the ones who are oppressed. If you're not willing to even acknowledge the fact that they exist. And that there is oppression. And there is injustice in this world. Then guess what? When it happens to you. Don't expect anyone to hear your cry either. In fact a great example of that is a gentleman who was a Lutheran pastor during World War II. And he was actually part of the Nazi sympathizers. And he was part of the uh, um, uh, Navy of Germany at the time. And then he began to realize that things were going off course really fast. And his confession after the, after the World War was over was simply this. And it is inscribed on the National Holocaust Museum. It's inscribed on you know, places, monuments everywhere. And he says, first, they came for the, the socialist and I didn't speak out because I'm not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionist. And I did not speak out because I'm not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews. And I did not speak out because I'm not a Jew. And then they came for me. And there was no one left to speak 
for me. When we turn our ears off, when we shut our eyes to those who are poor and those who are in need, when we shut our ears to the cries of the poor and those who are being oppressed, then we should not expect anyone to call out and be there when we are to respond when we call out. You see, we should be true and we should be honest. If we're going to shut our ears, we might as well participate in the insulting of the Maker. And what he says in chapter 14 is simply know that it won't go unpunished. That we have to respond by listening. But the, the kind of tie-in is not only do we have to listen and hear the cries, but we have to be willing to speak up for those who are oppressed. In fact, that's the second thing that we have to respond with in chapter 30, verse 8 and 9. We read it a little bit earlier, but he says, Speak up for those who have no voice, for the justice of all those who are despondent. In verse 9, Speak up. Judge righteously and defend the cause of the oppressed and the needy. And what he's describing there is almost kind of a legal setting. That you take up the case of someone who cannot do it for themselves. That you become a voice for those who have no voice. And he really uses languages that you would become the lawyer for someone who was mute and couldn't save their own case. That you would become the, the person who sits in the defendant's chairs. And you would defend someone or you would prosecute with someone. Someone who couldn't have any way of doing it themselves. They are literally mute and you become their voice. That's the words he uses there. Can I tell you, we live in a society that throws human life away so quickly because it can't speak up for itself. That's the reason that we have to become the voice for those who have no voice. That's the reason that we have to become the voice for the millions of unborn children who are, who are aborted every single year. It's the reason that we must become the voice for every child who is born and abused every single day in this country and in this county and even in this zip code. We have to be the voice for those who have no voice. We have to be the voice for those who their voice is taken away from them because someone thought they were superior and thought they were in fear and they had the opportunity to depress them and to oppress them. And so the call is clear. We must speak out. We must be the voice. We must be willing to call out and say, No, this is wrong and I won't stand for it anymore. The Justice League has to respond, not just by listening, not just by speaking out, but we've got to respond lastly by taking action, by being advocates for those who have no voice. Some of you may have saw a video a couple months ago, I guess now, yeah, it's been a couple months ago that came out that there was a 65-year-old Asian lady who was walking down the streets of New York City, and she came to an apartment complex and as she stood in front of this apartment complex, she was brutally beaten and kicked and punched so many times that she lay on the sidewalk as this man who was in his probably 20s or 30s did this act to her, yelling at her and cursing at her and doing all this insulting of her just because of her, her race and continued to abuse her. And all of it showed up on the media because it was caught on a security camera. And as sad as that part was to watch, the worst part of it all to watch, and I don't know if you've seen the video or not, you can look it up, but the worst part to watch of the security footage is not the attack that happens. It was tragic and it was terrible and it should never happen. The worst part, the most gut-wrenching part of watching that video was the two security guards of the apartment building that literally stood within 20 feet of this event and did nothing watched it all happen, and did not intervene at all. And to make it worse, after the attack was over, 
She gathers as much as she can of herself and of her belongings, and she tries to go get help from these two men who are standing within the sight of her. And do you know what they did? They literally closed the doors in her face. If we don't live in a world that needs heroes of justice, I don't know of a world that does. If we don't live in a world that is ready to act when we see injustice, then we are a world that is destitute ourselves. You see, Proverbs chapter 24, verse 10 and 12, finish up with this. It says, if you do nothing in a difficult time, your strength is limited. Literally, it says your strength is useless at that point. I don't care how much power you have. If you fail to respond with the responsibility that you have, your power is wasted. You have all the advantages in life. And if you don't use them for good in difficult time, then you might as well not have had them at all. He goes on to chapter or verse 11 says, Rescue those being taken off to death and save those stumbling towards slaughter. In verse 12, if you say, but we didn't know about this, won't he who weighs hearts consider it? Won't he who protects your life know? Won't he who repay a person according to his work? In 1867, John Stuart Mills said that bad men need nothing more to pass the ends of their goals than that good men should look on and do nothing. Put a different way. The only thing evil needs to triumph is for good men to do nothing. For us to sit back and not hear the cries of the unjust. For us to sit back and not speak up when we see injustice. For us to sit back and hear the cries, speak up, but not be willing to use our strength and our abilities when it's times of difficulties. Our world is desperate. Desperate for men and women who will do what these verses say. Who will come together, not because you have super strength, not because you can fly, not because you have cool gadgets, but simply because the light of the world has called you to become the light of the world. To shine the light of the world into this deep, dark universe that we live in. Because we live in a world that is desperate for a justice league to come and save us because we are being invaded by an injustice. We are being invaded by a deep darkness and an evil that is too great for us as individuals, but not when we come together. And so the, the invitation is simply this this morning. Will you be part of the Justice League that not only sits and listens to the voice of those who are broken, but will speak for those who have no voice, who will go out and make a difference in the lives of those who have nothing, those who will stand up and, and, and defend truth and justice, because inactivity is inexcusable in the one who knows your heart. Let's pray together.